is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 570, recorded Monday, February the 28th, 2022. The last day of February this year, Jason. You looking forward to March? Uh, no, not really. Why do no. you ask? No, I don't know. Just because it's coming <laughs> up tomorrow, and by the time this podcast is up, it'll be March. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I guess I'm looking forward to uh, saying beware the Ides of March for a few weeks. Sure. I, I usually do that, so why stop now? Why stop now? Exactly. Why not even start in February as I have just done? Well, you, you, you referred to it. You didn't actually do it. So, and it would be inappropriate. It's still February 28th right now. Yeah. That'd be crazy to bring it up now. No, right. it would be, it would be nuts. Yeah. Uh, how you doing otherwise, man? It's uh, start of a new week. Uh, not too bad. Good. Not too, not too bad. Not too bad. That's good. All right. I've had a, I've had a fun day, annoying day at work, put it that way. And, yep. uh, you know, those, those happen sometimes. So if there's anybody out there who wants to pay me a healthy salary to, you know, podcast 24 hours a day, no, not 24 hours a day, Whoa, po- dude! podcast for a living, <laughs> a normal, regular eight hour workday, maybe run your podcast network for you. I feel like I could do that. Didn't we have a deal at one point, uh, whereas if either one of us uh, hit the hit the big time money wise, like if we got uh, a couple million dollars, uh, whichever one got uh, got rich quick would hire the other one to po- podcast full time. Yeah, as a, as a job. Yeah, we've talked about that. Okay, that still stands. Of course, I, I I believe that stands. So if I if I win big, I don't know how I would win big. It would have to be a secret lottery. Maybe a Nigerian prince will contact me and and <laughs> offer me some money. Maybe. Maybe only if you're so. Lucky. <laughs> only yeah, if I'm lucky. Right now, it's the CRA that's calling to uh, threaten to uh, arrest me for uh, offenses. The Canada Revenue Agency, for those who don't know, we get a lot of calls from from them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I've stocked up on iTunes cards so that I can pay the Canada Revenue Agency, uh, so that I don't get uh, I don't get arrested. Okay. Well, that's that's smart of you. That's smart of you. So yeah. if one of us wins the lottery or hits it big, like big time, we're going to yeah. hire the other person to podcast. Uh, full time. Yeah. And if there's anybody out there that, that wants to just like step up and do that, you know, we're right here. We're right here. And uh, then I won't have to uh, do my regular day job anymore. Yeah, but then this would become your day job and it would be a grind after a while, I think. I think I could handle it. All right. All right. <laughs> just okay. just going to throw that out there. All right. All right, everyone. We are here, of course, to talk about the next episode of The Walking Dead. It is season 11, episode 10, and I think we should jump into it right now. New haunts. New, New haunts. You know, old haunts are great. They're familiar and they're comforting and you know what to expect. But sometimes you really just need some new haunts. You do. Thank you, Mm -hmm. Anwen in New Zealand and, going backwards, Matt and Frankie in Oklahoma City and Daniel in the UK. Nice. The title of this episode is New Haunts, which of course refers to the fact that most of the team has now moved into the Commonwealth. And uh, that is their new haunts. It's their new location. That's where they live now. Damn it, I got it confused. I thought it was New Pants. The whole episode, I thought it was called New Pants. (laughs) I was trying to figure out exactly who had the New Pants. I mean, I don't think it's Daryl. It might be Jerry. 
It's Carol. Carol had the new pants is what, what the conclusion I came to. Got it. Carol has the new pants. Okay. Well, let's start this episode off, Jason. We are with Daryl, Judith, and RJ, and they're making their way through a dark, scary house. There's flashing lights. There's zombie sounds. There's arms reaching through doors. In fact, there's even a zombie that comes out of a door and, and comes at them. And you think that would be a very frightening experience because, well, because we live in the zombie apocalypse and you don't want to get too close to zombies. We, we do live in the zombie apocalypse, but I knew right from the jump that it was a haunted house. Like, uh, I don't know, maybe it was the fact that the episode was called New Pants and I assumed that uh, they would need new pants if it wasn't a haunted house. Right. And nobody seemed to need new pants right away. So uh, I, I just, I knew that it was a, a haunted house. Yeah, me too, for some reason. From the, from the first frame of the scene, you just know that there's something different about this. And it's probably because they don't have weapons out and yeah. the kids look a little bit nervous, but nobody looks truly afraid for their lives. You know, well, you know, do you want to get stabbed? Because this is how you get stabbed, right? Because you, <laughs> you send Daryl into, or uh, even Judith into, uh, or Jude as she's being, uh, as she's calling herself now. Hey, Jude. Uh, uh, hey, Jude. She, you know, this is a good way to get somebody stabbed because, you know, you know, muscle memory, her whole life, it's been see this shit, stab this shit. I guess so. But it's not like they entered this uh, haunted house without knowing what it was. So it it is it is low uh risk I would say but but at the same time like who builds a haunted zombie house in the zombie apocalypse that feels like a mistake it, well it does until you realize or until you are informed that it's a commonwealth 30 days after they've been there right yeah once we realize it's the commonwealth it makes sense because those guys got their friggin' priorities ass backwards and they don't understand what's going on. They think it's funny or entertaining to have a zombie uh, haunted house uh, at Halloween. Yeah. So we find out quickly, they come out of the haunted house, they meet up with Jerry. There's all kinds of people around dressed up. So it's Halloween. There's some sort of Halloween festival going on. And after the opening credits, we get that shot of Carol bringing the cookies out of the bakery, which we saw in the trailer a few weeks ago. And as she brings them sort of out to a stand, uh, somebody buys a cookie, she gives one to Judith, and we get text across the screen, day 30 in the Commonwealth. Yeah. So the team, the group, has been there for about a month now. And after Judith takes her cookie, another girl approaches her, introduces herself as May, and they chat for a second and sort of become friends. Yep. That's nice. Yeah. Carol, she goes to see Daryl, gives him a cookie, and they chat about what they think of the place, uh, meaning the Commonwealth, and they sort of both agree that it takes some getting used to. Is Carol allowed to give away cookies? Uh, I guess that so. That seems like a violation. That might get her uh, banned. At least. Uh, for giving away cookies instead of selling them? Yeah, because there's the, they got an economy going here. You can't just give away cookies. You know, in, in this day and age, you get in trouble from your boss, but this is the Commonwealth we're talking about. That's a good way to get yourself, get your ass banned out of the, uh, out of the community. Well, it could be. I don't know, but maybe it's more of a sampling uh, program where you give away a few cookies and they're so good, everyone comes to buy them after. Well, it is Halloween, right? It's yeah. It's a Halloween festival, so I don't know. Maybe she wasn't selling them, uh, but- Money becomes comes into play later. 
Right. So Governor Milton, who we haven't really officially been introduced to yet, comes out and starts handing out cotton candy to a lot of the kids. She gets up on a little platform and awards first place in the costume contest to a girl dressed as Mercer. So, you know, orange foam uh, armor costume. That's a dumb costume. I've been, uh, I've judged uh, Halloween costume contests in my clowning days. Uh Uh-huh. And there's much better ones, uh, much much better costumes out there than this kid's. But this this is a political win. This is, this is not real. Like in that crowd on screen, there's better costumes? Yeah, there is. There's a guy with a fish head. Uh, so that, uh, that seemed like a really good idea to me. Right there. It's better than dressing up as your, uh, leader of your military. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Fish head. Well, the prize for this costume contest is 10 lottery tickets, which we don't really know what that means yet, but that's what the prize is. Uh, Carol mentions to Daryl that she used to read a lot of tabloids and thought Milton was really classy. So... Pamela Milton was a public figure before the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, and we get uh, more information on that a little bit later, but that uh, that's interesting to know. It is, very much so. So then Connie and Kelly approach. Connie is working as a reporter for the local paper, it seems. They chat about her job, ask if she's met Pamela yet, and she says she interviewed her once before the zombie apocalypse. And mentions that, uh, well, I think um, Kelly mentions that he, she got her uncle kicked out of Congress. So this is a political family, the Miltons, and they've been around for a long time. And it seems that whatever's left of it, maybe it's just Pamela Milton, uh, you know, is still working in politics uh, in whatever form we get here in the Commonwealth. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the politicians wouldn't have survived the first couple of weeks of the zombie apocalypse, but whatever. Who knows? It depends if they're in some sort of political bunker somewhere. <laughs> yeah. You know? Remember there was, there was the politician on, uh, on fear that they were trying mm-hmm. to find or trying to get to, uh, which we don't need to talk about right now, but both shows have now gone a little bit political or had political characters. Yep. Um, but anyways, Carol seems kind of surprised or maybe slightly impressed that uh, it was Connie that was working pre-apocalypse doing this kind of work. And I really have no idea if that is important or not, but it's an interesting character trait that we've never really seen of Carol before. I feel like, you know, that's something I wouldn't have guessed about her uh, personality in the before times. Anyways, that's that. Daryl leaves to go to work, he says. (laughs) (laughs) He's got to get out of there. Uh, now Ezekiel, we know he was a zookeeper before the apocalypse, so he's running the petting zoo uh, for this Halloween festival and clearly suffering a little bit, you know, having some pain maybe because of his thyroid cancer. Um, but we'll come back to him in a second. Before that, we see Call Me Gabriel with um, Rosita and Coco, and he offers to keep the baby overnight, so Rosita's great with that. She leaves her with him. Yeah, nice. Now later, Daryl and Rosita are coming out of their apartments in these uh, sort of matching fire escapes. They're coming down the stairs. And Rosita mentions that she looks forward to basic being over and then getting a better apartment. Mm -hmm. And she also mentions it's weird to be worrying about money again. 
Yeah, it is a little weird. It is for sure. So do you think they're like earning money and paying for the apartments basically and paying yeah, for everything? So yeah, they're in, they're in basic training or yeah. So, uh, they probably are in public housing at the moment. Mm-hmm. And then once they, uh, once they get a job, then, uh, they can pay for their own apartments. I guess so. Yeah. Now, does that job, that job is soldier in the Commonwealth military, yes. right? Yes. Okay. All right. You don't go through basic training and then not be a soldier, usually? I did. Well, I know you did, but like in this scenario, I have a feeling like if you pass basic training, you're probably becoming yeah. a soldier. Yeah. There's uh, you know, there's lots of places out there where uh, military service is required too, right? And you go through basic training and you become a soldier for a few years and then you get out. Yeah. Fair enough. Yep. My father-in-law did that very thing. Oh, nice. Um, where are we? We go to, uh, we go back to the Halloween festival and Jerry and his family are playing with Ezekiel. The kids, they've got a bunch of kids, Jerry and Nabila, and they're playing with Shiva's old collar. They go to give it back, but ultimately Ezekiel says that the kid can keep it as long as it makes him happy and he thinks of Shiva when he plays with it. Yeah. Because what does Ezekiel need the collar for anymore? And the kids seem to be having a lot of fun playing tug of war. (laughs) Well, they, you know, they, they might find a tiger. They might what? They might find a tiger, another tiger. There's tigers out there, I'm sure. Oh, there could be tigers. Yeah, I guess. You better hang on to that big leash. So Jerry and Nabil are both dressed up as tigers, right? Oh, gosh. I didn't even notice. I wasn't paying attention. They both have orange clothing and stripes on them. So that's why they have, uh, and their kids are all various other cats. Right. It's a whole family of big cats. Yeah. I like that. That's great. Well, Carol comes over to talk to Ezekiel. She asks about his condition, how he's doing. And of course he says he's fine, but Carol seems to know better because she saw him from a distance wincing in pain or something like that. Yeah. Carol knows everything. She does. She does know everything. Um, and she knows how to sneak into medical buildings too, because the next thing she does is walk into some sort of hospital. She's carrying some flowers, bumps into a security guard and pickpockets the keys not a security guard, a janitor, I think, picks po- pick yeah. pockets the keys from him. And okay, she. Okay, so a couple things. All right. uh, one is uh, if anybody ever bumps into you for any reason whatsoever, uh, follow them and while you're checking your pockets. They're it's trying very to, simple. They're trying to steal something from you. They're trying to steal something All right. from you. Uh, so that's one thing. The other thing is do you think the janitor who is doing his uh, janitation? Janitorial what's, what's duties. The, Janitorial duties? What's yeah. the verb of janitor? Janet? Um, work? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He's he's out doing his janiting. And uh, do you think he noticed his keys missing in about five seconds? Uh, I think maybe he did. I Maybe, yeah. You'd think he might. Uh, how You know, if you're out and about and your keys go missing, how long does it take you to, to notice your keys are gone? Well, I don't know. My keys would be in my like front jean pocket. And if someone expertly lifted them from me, I might not notice right away. Okay. I, I check know. my, I do have a, a wallet keys check when I'm walking around like every 30 seconds or so. 30 it's, seconds? You're it's that a habit worried? I got into. I always worry about not having my wallet with me in case uh, I need to pay for something if I've forgotten my wallet somewhere. 
and uh, yeah, or and I'm worried about losing my keys. I used to have, uh, I used to be that guy. I had like a whole lot of keys. Oh yeah, keys to the house, keys to the rehearsal space, keys to work, keys to all these things, and they all took like three or four keys. And I got tired of carrying them around in my pocket, and I couldn't put them in my backpack because I worry about them. So I got that clip and clipped it on my belt loop, mm-hmm. so they would fucking rattle all day long. Well, right? like a janitor, uh-huh. right? Which is exactly what this guy has. He has a whole bunch of keys. They were clipped to him. Uh, the nice thing about having that, that them clipped on my belt is I could hear them rattling all the time. Yep. And I never worried about them because I could always hear that I had my keys. This guy, all of a sudden, his body has gone silent, <laughs> right? He would notice that his keys were missing. Okay, yeah, he probably would. I also think you're uh, you're old school, man. I mean, I still have a wallet, but I don't actually always take it with me because, like, all my cards are in my phone and tappable. Uh, everything else I pay for with apps and things like that now. So I don't. Oh, I don't. I, use... I don't use my wallet, but I need it because I ninety percent of the time when I leave the house, I'm getting in the car. Oh yeah. So I need my driver's license, so I might as well just take my wallet. Yeah, fair enough. Driver's I license. I never take fair. it out of my pants for any reason. No. <laughs> Because you can tap for everything with your phone now. Or my watch. I use my watch. Oh, that's fancy too. I don't Pretty even. Fancy. I don't even have to do anything. I just do press a button on my watch and. Money goes away. To, and money goes, yeah. goes away. Like you split. <laughs> just, I don't even have to worry about where my phone is. That's great. Yeah. All right. Anyways, uh, where are we? So Carol, she lifts these keys from the guy. She goes into a medical records room and finds Ezekiel's file and then Tommy comes in, this is Yumiko's brother, and she admits to him straight up that she's snooping around and is worried about Ezekiel. So they talk about him being way down the list of people in line for surgery. And Tommy says there's basically no chance they'll get to him in time unless he moves up the line. So everything is good. About that, except for the fact that I call bullshit on the uh, the number uh, in which he's lying. He's in number 147 in line for surgery. Okay, yep. And that would not be in his medical file. Like, why would you put that in a medical file? Because if somebody moves up, all of a sudden you've got to change all the medical files uh, to, to indicate what their current number is. Now, was it in the file or did Tommy just say it? Or did he read no. it from the file? She said it. Uh, she said she was snooping. Uh-huh. And uh, he said, okay, what do you want to know? And she said, I know this, I know this, and I know uh, that he's 147. How long do you get, uh, how long does, uh, how long before you get to number 147? Right. So she tells him what she knows already. And what she knows already, she learned from the file. Okay. So the fact that that number is in that file, I call absolute bullshit. That is a way, way <laughs> bad organizational system. You know, it really, really is. Because you're right. If something changes, you got to change all the files. <laughs> yeah. You see, this is what I do for a living. I look at processes and I find ways that uh, they're fucked up and they should be done better. Well, there you go. You found one, write a letter and uh, let the producers know. Yeah. So they can go back in time and make a change to accommodate me. Well, you know, at least they'll, they won't make the same mistake again twice. Okay. The fact that it's here means that uh, it never happened. Either I didn't write the letter or nobody time traveled. Yeah. Uh, or some, it broke down somewhere. Somewhere. Something happened. That's right. Yeah, it's probably because I didn't write the letter and I never will. Anyways, we go over to Mercer and he's introducing a team of new recruits in basic training. And of course it includes Rosita and Daryl. He's introducing them to the Kill House. 
what he calls it. Yeah. So he explains that teams of two are going to go into the house with the objective of getting through successfully. And he sets the teams, uh, which does not include a team with Daryl and Rosita, but Daryl asks if he can go with her, but Mercer declines. Well, that's the, you know, uh, the whole point of this exercise. Oh, sorry. I moved away from my pop filter and got the P in there. Uh, so what was I saying? Two things. Uh, one is uh, the objective behind this is to uh, to see where they are with teamwork, right? Because mm-hmm. he says uh, each team gets one weapon between them and he's holding up a obviously rubber knife. And so hopefully they gave them real knives to go and fight zombies, not just the rubber one he was holding up. Mm-hmm. But uh, the whole point is to... Uh, to have them work together. You got two people, one knife, you have to work together. Right. Right. Which I knew right away. Well, Daryl's a loner. We talked about this last week, why he makes such a sucky soldier. Uh, he's a loner. He's going to fuck this up. Somehow he's going to leave that other guy. He's going to get in trouble and uh, he's going to, you know, maybe save the day. I assumed he would save the day, but that's not the point. The point is to have, uh, to be a team. And that's what you need to do to be a soldier. We talked about this. There's, you know, there's the buddy system. You don't want to let buddy down. You could, you know, let other people down, but that guy standing next to you, you can't let him down. You can't do it. He's your buddy. He's your buddy. He right. dies if you let him down. Yeah. So, uh, that's it. So it, this whole thing played out in my mind, uh, the very second that it started. Well, I mean, that's basically what Mercer says too, right? He's looking, I think he says he's looking for efficiency and teamwork or something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's also a race. The first one to kill the red zombie, uh, you know, is one step closer to finishing basic training. Like everybody else is not that one step closer. Got it. For no. some reason. Right. So they go in. Uh, the, there are soldiers kind of watching from the outside, I guess, to step in if anything goes really sideways. So Rosita and her partner make it through pretty successfully. Both have some kills, some zombies, uh, and they, there's a few close calls. One scene... Rosita rips the leg off of a walker and stabs it in the head with its own femur bone. That was pretty that cool. Was pretty fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, pretty good, I think. Makeshift uh, weapon, uh, you know, use what's around you, right? Yeah, use what you like, have that's, available. That's the that's the zombie killing MacGyver move right there. Not bad. It was yeah. pretty sweet. Now, Daryl and his guy do okay, although Mercer towards the end, steps in and kills a zombie just before Daryl can help his partner. And Daryl questions why he failed, and Mercer just says he expected speed and teamwork. That's what it was. So uh, I personally didn't think that Daryl and his guy were doing that poorly, but Mercer had other thoughts, I guess. He left Buddy. Daryl left Buddy to fend for himself. You don't leave him. You know, the idea is that uh, you have your, your... your buddy and uh, you are stuck together like glue. You do not leave your buddy. Yeah. I just didn't feel like there was that much of a difference between the way Daryl and his buddy went through and Rosita and her buddy. In basic training, my buddy's name's, name was Onyx. That's not a name. It is. He was awesome. He was great. Okay. I, re- I really liked Onyx. He was, uh, he, he, uh, he rapped a lot. <laughs> a, okay. All right. It's fine. It was very entertaining. That sounds fun, actually. That's the guy you want to be with. Yeah, no, it was it was good. But we were always together, like through all of basic training. Uh, uh, 
you know, he was if he wasn't next to me, I got in trouble. It's the same thing as if I if you leave your rifle somewhere that's outside of arm's reach, you are in trouble. Right. Because you know if you get into trouble and your uh, and your rifle is ten feet away, it might as well be on the moon. Like you're fucked. Yeah. Well, that makes sense to me. All right. Well, we go back into town, and Judith and her friend are now browsing vinyl records. And May pulls out a Motorhead album and says that she's got to buy it. Judith has to buy this. Turns out Princess is working in the shop and May buys the record for Judith because Judith has no money. And you need Motorhead. You need right? Motorhead. Yeah, there's, for there's, sure. There's no question about it. You, you know, when you, when there's Motorhead on vinyl, you need Motorhead on vinyl. Agreed. Agreed. I think that's, you know, indisputable right there. Yeah. So Carol is hanging around. She overhears Milton's assistant berating Lance Hornsby because he was trying to supply something that wasn't up to snuff. And I know that sounds like a weird description of what's going on, but that's basically what it was. And then Lance throws a box of something into a garbage can. Carol sneaks over to the garbage can, takes a look, and it turns out it's a bunch of wine bottles. Yeah. So now... He doesn't recycle at all. No, Fucker. he doesn't. He we just, know he's a bad guy because he didn't recycle no. at all. He Common, just threw it all in the garbage. Right in the garbage. So now cut to Carol entering some sort of unused and abandoned wine shop. She searches around a bit, finds some receipts for wine or packing slips for wine, which lead her to an underground wine cellar somewhere else. And while she's snooping around there, she's surprised by a couple of stealth zombies and has to fight them off. And of course she does. Yeah. So, uh, Johannes in Perth, Australia says, holy crap, I've had it with surprise zombies. Carol sneaks around uh, a quiet wine cellar and all of a sudden three walkers sneak up on her. And for some reason, they only start growling the second they're on screen. If the camera can't see it, neither can the characters. Apparently, this also applies with audio. This overused trope is so annoying and they just keep doing it over and over again. So I agree with that. These were zombies out of nowhere, didn't make a sound and stuff like that. But I thought this whole sequence was really weird and rushed and just felt like, well, we need Carol to get some wine. So she's going to eavesdrop on this conversation that seems convenient. Uh, she's going to just... She's going to just immediately know where to go to find these packing slips or whatever the hell they were. And they're just going to lead her to this wine cellar that's somewhere else that we've never seen before and have no idea where it is. And it all just felt really random to me. And I was like, what? What Did, did I miss something? No, it's a video game quest. She got a quest. Uh, you know, she started a quest. Yeah. And she got a quest marker. She had to go to this particular location. There has to be some drama at the quest marker. Uh -huh. uh, and now she has the thing to complete her quest. And so she's off to, uh, off to do that. Well, that's it, kind of, it's very it's quite standard. I guess so. Standard is a video game quest, but I it threw me off because all of this was like, well, we just needed Carol to get through these steps. I guess we're not going to find out what's really going on here or or how she's able to do all this. Why she knows where these places are. I guess they've been there thirty days. She's looked around, maybe. Well, this is outside the wire, right? This was because uh, Mercer or uh, mention or what's his name uh, mentions it later that uh, she knows how to get outside the walls now. Yeah, and I had a thought about that comment too. Um, and I'm, I mean, I guess we'll get to it, but my thought there was he mentions that she can get outside the walls and it felt like just a throwaway line. 
Like it didn't mean anything. I, maybe it'll come up later. I'm, I have a feeling it will, but for now it was just like, Oh, you know how to get out of the wall, get outside the walls, cut to something else. So. Yeah. Well, it explains this and, uh, it sets something up for later. I, I assume. I think so. I'm not sure it explains this all that well, but... Well, she didn't get this. Well, my first thought was that she was in the basement of somebody's mansion inside the Commonwealth right. at first. And I'm like, what the fuck are zombies doing down there? And, and Until later, it, it got sorted out. And why would she be there anyways? Like, she can't just walk into random places or whatever. I don't she was been doing that whole episode. She stole keys and walked into random places. This no, is what she's doing. That's true. She, she's <laughs> walking in. So I'm, my thought was maybe they're using zombies as a security system for the wine cellar. I don't know. I, and I thought that that would be interesting that they would be using zombies as security because why not really? You yeah. want to protect somebody from getting into a bank vault? Fill the vault full of zombies. It's not like they're going to Spend the money. But what doesn't make sense is, number one, both these locations she goes to seem abandoned. Like, they're all dirty. There's nothing there. So why is it that Carol knows where to go and exactly what to do when she needs wine, but Lance does not, who's this high-ranking official, been living here forever, and he's, like, trying to have, have wine made or whatever is going on. Like... It just seemed bizarre. It seemed convenient for Carol to get her through her, like, plot points for the episode. Well, it makes sense, too, in a way, because uh, Carol is new to this place and she's exploring. So she's obviously found a way to get outside the walls, uh, and she goes outside the walls on a regular basis to explore, find out what's going on, see what's out there, get a lay of the land, understand what's going on. Whereas Mercer's been there the entire time. Hornsby. Hornsby. He's been there... Uh, the entire time, and uh, he's ha- he has well-worn paths, right? Okay. And he's also very privileged. When you live someplace for uh, a decade, right, you have your set ways on how you get from point A to point B. So you've been living in where you're living for uh, about 100 million years, I would assume. Or so, yeah. Somewhere around there. You're, you're immortal, right? You've been around for a while? <laughs> a long time. Anyway, yeah, so uh, you've been living there for a, a long time, and you know your neighborhood pretty well. I bet your kids know you know your neighborhood better than you do at this point. No, the kids don't, uh, but there may come a time. I don't know. Well, the neighborhood has also changed, right? Since you started uh, living there. Yeah. So there's there's whole new buildings. There's, uh, there's friggin' uh, LCBOs that are missing, right? There was an <laughs> LCBO that was around the corner that was a uh, very convenient location for you. Uh-huh. And now it's Totally something else. Is there? There's an LCB deal. Oh, in there, right? Not where it was. Not the one you're talking about. That's long gone. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so the neighborhood has changed since you wandered around and got to know it. So, yeah, yeah. I think maybe, you know, being new to a neighborhood or being new to a situation, uh, and going around and exploring gives you some advantages for someone that's been uh, stuck in their ways for a while. I suppose. Fair enough. But can I? Can you? <laughs> Can I, can I at least think that it's just weirdly convenient that he's looking for wine and she knows exactly where to find wine? Well, I don't know. Yeah, I assume that the quest marker told her where to find the wine. Okay. Like she didn't actually know. <laughs> I'm just trying to retroactively explain it. Sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, she had a quest marker. She went there. She found wine. Fair enough. Quest marker it is. Our next scene involves Mercer, and he's taken Daryl and Sebastian Milton. This is, of course, Pamela Milton's son, 
Uh, and the guy that uh, got Eugene in trouble in the first, uh, well, in the last episode, number, not last one, number eight. And they go into the forest where there's this shipping container. Turns out Rosita has followed them there. And Mercer says they don't need her for this, but she says she volunteered. And then Sebastian makes this douchey comment about how he likes how she looks. And everybody sort of rolls their eyes at that. There is a bag of weapons that contains all of our group's weapons in it. There's Daryl's crossbow. There's that thing that Rosita has been using lately. There's Judith's mini sword. So I guess like Sashi, yeah. they, they recovered it from the, the flooded basement where she dropped it. Cool. And apparently they're here for Sebastian's, what they call advanced military training. Yeah. So they let the walkers out of this shipping container. He kills one. Then he kind of gets tangled up with another one. Daryl picks up the crossbow and uses it to kill the walker and save him. This of course pisses Sebastian off and he seems to imply that Daryl won't make a good soldier. Um, and then Pamela Milton, with another group of soldiers, looks on and seems disappointed. Like she's disappointed in her son because he needed to be saved or something like that. Oh, he's the douchest of bags. He's just the yeah. most awful person that is imaginable. Uh, and, you know, he... <laughs> I've known people like this, right? That uh, think they're all high and mighty. Even even kids. There's there was one kid up at uh, my father-in-law's uh, cottage years ago, uh, and this kid was just the most annoying kid ever. Uh, he, he was just standing there, and there was uh, there was this badminton net that was uh, that was strung up. Uh, oh, sorry, volleyball net that was strung up, so like way high. And he's like standing there, he's like, I'm gonna go do a backflip over the net. He starts running off towards the net. I'm like, "What are you crazy?" And he ended up standing on um, uh, the seat of his swing and crying because he couldn't get down, and he had to have a parent come and save him. <laughs> I mean, sure, he was five, but it just—he seemed like a complete fucking idiot. Okay. Uh, and so, and it was just very indicative to people I've known over the years that are just the most useless people in the world who think they're high and mighty and can't do anything yet they say I'm going to do this it reminded me of Napoleon Dynamite uh you know but the liger is pretty much his favorite animal and he you know he learned wants to learn bow hunting skills sure, and nunchuck yeah. skills and you know it's it, it uh, an annoying not charming Napoleon Dynamite is sure what this guy is <laughs> well so he so Sebastian kind of looks embarrassed at all this he runs off after his mom and, you know, Daryl questions Mercer what this was all about. And Mercer doesn't really answer the question. I don't think he says that this place, meaning the Commonwealth, can provide a good life for him if he'll just let, if he'll just get out of his own way. Now, I don't really follow what the point of this scene was, to be honest. I mean, yes, it gave us a little bit more insight into Sebastian, but like, we come from the kill house thing where Daryl isn't very successful. According to Mercer, he says, come with me. And they show up here to Sebastian's advanced military training. What's the point? Like what is Mercer trying to get across to Daryl here? And what is Daryl's role supposed to be in this scene? Because I didn't see the point to any of it other than the slight, uh, insight into Sebastian being a dick. Shall I tell you? Yes, please. Uh, Mercer is part of the Rebel Alliance and, uh, he's trying to recruit Daryl. Mercer is part of the Rebel Alliance 
and a traitor, and he's trying yeah. to recruit Daryl. Sorry, I've already put everybody into uh, Empire and Rebel Alliance camps. Uh, it's obvious, <laughs> right? We have Stormtroopers and the uh, the Empire, uh-huh. uh, and then we have the Rebel Alliance, which is a very underground kind of thing that we're, we're seeing being built here. And Mercer's absolutely on the side of the Rebel Alliance, and he's recruiting Daryl. Okay, so we don't really know anything about that yet, but we'll get to that in this episode. No, but that's the point of this, right? It's it's one of those aha moments where uh, when you have the twist later on, it explains that, you know, these things have all been setting up that twist. So sorry to spoil the twist for you. Well, don't worry about it. I've seen the whole episode. I did not put that together, to be honest with you. Uh, obviously, yes, there is some dissent happening here in the Commonwealth, and we will talk about it. Um, so what you're saying, though, is is Mercer is here showing Daryl how much of a douche Sebastian is to give him that look into, or that view into, you know, you, uh, this is the kind of people we're dealing with. And, yes. Okay. That's exactly right. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're here because I didn't pick up on that. and Maybe I wasn't paying attention. I didn't pick up on it until you said, I don't see the point of this. I'm like, oh, that makes sense now. So I just, I just thought of it now. All right. Well, there you go. There you go. So I can see then in that case, there's something, there's something more to this scene and Rosita's there too. And she's really involved in like, uh, the sort of reveal of the, the, uh, anti-Commonwealth sentiment in this place coming up later. For now though, uh, Daryl comes home to Judith and RJ in their apartment. There's loud music playing, like it sounds like a big party somewhere nearby. And she asks if she can have an allowance, because that's something that May had mentioned when they bought the Motorhead record. Uh, and in what I thought was kind of a funny line, Daryl says, maybe, but let's just wait till my job settles. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, he's like a single parent who's, uh, trying to get a new job or a second job or something like that. And he doesn't have any extra cash. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to make light of that situation in any way, but in the context of this episode, I thought it was kind of amusing. Yeah. And it's probably something Daryl's heard his whole life, right? Oh, probably. Yeah. So it, it makes perfect sense. Uh, and yeah, it's a sad way to put it, but it absolutely is true. You know, he's uh, still in basic training and once, uh, once he becomes a soldier and figures that out, he'll get a real paycheck, mm-hmm. uh, and he can, uh, start doling out allowances. Yes, he can. Now, the other thing they talk about here is whether they should stay in the Commonwealth or not. And the kids say they do want to stay even after Alexandria is all cleaned up. And I thought that was just interesting to know because it sort of implies that they are here on a trial basis and they can leave at any time they want. And they are still, uh, working on repairing Alexandria at this point. I mean, it's only, I know it's only been 30 days, uh, and our last episode ended six months later. So there's a bit of time in there for things to change, but I just thought it was interesting that they made a point of telling us that. Yeah. And you're assuming that they can leave anytime they want, even though they tell them they can leave whenever, when anytime they want. Yeah. I don't know that for sure. Of course. Because if they can leave anytime they want, Carol would not need to know how to get outside the walls. That's a good right? point. So. Very good uh, point. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, um, 
we go over to Lance and this is the scene where he's tasting some wine and isn't happy with it. So Carol comes in with the case of wine she found in this uh, mystery abandoned wine cellar at the end of her quest. And she, he, you know, he questions how she knew this is what he needed. And as you said, realizes she found a way to get outside the walls. And then her whole point though, is that she asks him to move Ezekiel up in the surgery, surgery line. She's trying to get him his surgery that he needs sooner. Um, and Lance says that first he needs to make sure the wine goes over well. And Carol responds with, oh, it will. Right. Again, this is, I just found this weird because she's bringing him this wine somehow knowing that it's really good or better than what he was uh, throwing away. Well, it's because of the, uh, the manifest or the order forms that she saw in the wine cellar. The, uh, the one that she was looking for was like $1,200 a bottle. Holy shit. And she found those and she brought a case of them. Okay. Right? So she has a pretty good idea that this is going to be good wine. The other problem I had with this, though, is that the way it was presented to us, like, we don't know Carol's actual intentions here other than the Ezekiel thing, right? It's Carol. She could be up to something. And I started thinking, oh, it's poison or there's just something about it that's going to cause everyone to get the runs or something, you know, who knows? And... That's I was, how I feel about wine in general. Well, fine, but that's just you. Most people can drink it without shitting their pants, but- Well, uh, I just don't like wine. I yeah, never did. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but, but it's just like, you know, the wine, is it going to go over well? Oh, it will. Like that's foreshadowing to me that some, that wine is going to do something unexpected or that it's not supposed to do. I think Carol is, uh, in this episode, has been the most above board Carol that we've ever seen. And yet she, I don't understand any of it. Maybe that's the problem. Her motivations are laid out plain, and I don't think that they deviated at all from those. She wants Ezekiel moved up in the queue. She's worried about him. Fright from the get-go, everything she's doing is to achieve that goal. She has to ingratiate himself to uh, this schmo. Mm -hmm. and I've forgotten his name already. Is it Mercer? Uh, nope. No, that's this is Hornsby. Guy. This is the Lance Hornsby. Hornsby. <laughs> oh. Okay, uh, I, should, I need cue cards. Uh, so Hornsby, she's trying to ingratiate himself to Hornsby. Uh, you know, she gives him the wine. Uh, he says, or she said, he says, what do you want? She says, well, I have a friend. I need him moved up in the surgery queue. Right. It's like, that's a, that's a tough, tough thing. And she's yeah. like, not for you. Right. So she's, uh, yep. she's buttering him up. She's, uh, she's taking butter and buttering both sides. <laughs> You know, that's exactly what she's doing. I know. And that's what she says. But for me, I just felt like there was something more to it. And it turns out, as far as we know, there was not. There, and, yeah. I feel and, there is not. And, and, and it felt like a setup without a payoff to me. Um, but anyways, for now, uh, we move on to the actual masquerade ball and we see Magna in the kitchen chatting with another server. She grabs a tray of wine and takes it out. There's uh, another important part here. What is it? Like they're talking about, uh, uh, what is it? Some kind of fruit? What's the fruit? Uh, mango. Mango. Mm -hmm. She's talking about, uh, you know, they have mangoes. Uh, you know, my kids don't even know what a mango is. Right. Uh, and so she says, maybe they'll have one someday. someday. She's like, <laughs> not likely. 
So they're very definitively setting up a class structure here that the servers do not have access to the deliciousness that the upper crust have access to. Yeah, that's and right. And they never will because it's not just, you know, the, the, you do not have the American dream here. It's not everybody can achieve whatever they want if they work hard enough and try hard enough and be, uh, you know, successful. It's a, my kids will never have mango and these schmoes will always have mango yeah. because you can't jump classes. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that is obviously what this conversation was all about, right? It was it was setting up that very distinctive divide in this particular society. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Magna takes the wine out and... Milton's assistant grabs one off the tray for her. Now, the name of this assistant is revealed later in the episode as Max. Mm -hmm. There's some confusion as to why it's Max and not Stephanie or whatever. Um, But we don't know the name watching the episode at this point. We don't know it, but I'm just going to use the name Max from here on in because it's easier. Sure. And I also wanted to point out that Magna... Uh, is carrying a tray of wine around this busy room and she kind of negotiates out from the uh, the back room kitchen area. She walks around. Uh, she does that very well. Mm-hmm. Like I'm 99% sure that this actress has uh, worked a- a- in the service industry at some point in the past. It's like seeing a smoker uh, that n- has smoked smoke on screen. It just, it was so natural. It was so well done that no matter how much you practice, you don't get good like this unless you do it for a living for okay. a while. Well, there you go. That's just my opinion. I don't know. I've never worked in the service industry in this capacity. I've never been a waiter. I've never been, uh, uh, you know, part of the, the restaurant industry in any way, shape or form. I worked at a gas station once. I know how to pump gas. I know how to pour diesel all over my legs. Oh, that's a I've good done skill that. to have. <laughs> I know how to do that. I know what it smells like. I know all of these things, uh, but I do not know how to carry a tray of wine. I can tell you that much. All right. Well, Magna sure does. She carries it over to Tommy and Yumiko, who are standing there, two of the only people in the room that don't have, like, masks on, I think. Uh, she offers some wine, and she says, we hear it's really good. So, again, for me, I'm like, oh, there's something up with the wine, and Magna's in on it. She knows it's really good. Yet she serves it to them, and Tommy chugs it down, chugs a second one down, uh, and says he's not really enjoying himself. So now I'm like, well, he just drank the poison wine? What's going on here? Um, But turns out it's not poison, so everything was fine. Uh, Yeah, except for he's a surgeon? He is a surgeon. Oh, his hands were shaking like a son of a bitch when he drank that. Well, but- I'm not sure if, it, if it's uh, the actor whose hands were shaking or whether he was... Uh, shaking his hands by acting, but Jesus age Christ, I would not want this guy to uh, perform surgery on me. You got to remember though, he says straight up, this is not my scene. I don't like it here. So maybe he's nervous in this social situation, but he's a really calm, collected dude when he's working inside someone's body. I sure hope so. Yeah. And I don't want him drinking or, or drinking coffee. Uh, surgeons should not be drinking coffee because you get fucking tremors uh-huh. and, uh, That just spells bad news. It's bad news for sure. Uh, Listener Michael in Ozark, Missouri said, holy crap, guys, our characters look so out of place in normal surroundings and with normal clothes on. Yeah, it was a little weird. 
this could have been inserted anywhere, but I thought I'd put it here because this is where we've got everyone dressed up and fancy and in uniforms and things like that. And I agree it, this whole thing to me felt really weird for the walking dead. Like this felt like a different show where everyone was just living normal lives and doing stuff. So it was weird. At least in lost. And I bring everything back to lost. As you know, I do know. At least in Lost, where they have, uh, you know, they're on the island and they're wearing worn out, beaten up clothes. But we have regular flashbacks where they were, where they're wearing regular clothes. So it became normal, yes. right? It's a normal thing. That's right. Whereas this, we've hit, we're ten years in, uh, and all of a sudden everybody's wearing like fucking dresses and uh, like uniforms and yeah. nice clothes. And this is why I thought the whole thing was new pants, right? Because the whole episode was around uh, <laughs> wearing nice clothes. New uh, pants. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it's, it's a bit jarring. That's for sure. Totally jarring. So we go outside, people are arriving, a crowd has gathered and there's pho- photographers taking pictures. Like the media is there. Uh, Daryl and Rosita seem to be working the door, just sec- sort of security at the door. Mercer arrives, people are chanting his name. So he's this like celebrity princess who's in the crowd, says hi, says he's looking really good. She's kind of hitting on him. And so he invites her in with him. And He's a good looking dude. There's nothing wrong with, oh. uh, with princess, uh, you know, having eyes for this guy. I totally agree. I'm not saying there is, um, but she, that's what she was doing for sure. So they go inside and immediately kind of go their own ways. Princess goes over to see Yumiko and Lance approaches Pamela and she says she's fine with the wine, which is great for them, I guess. Well, <laughs> which I thought was fun. It's like, oh, how's the wine? Expecting, a, oh, it's fantastic. You did really great. Good job, son. I love you. You're an amazing person. Well, that's not uh, her son, but yeah. Oh, yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's what he wants. <laughs> well, yes. And she just, just says it's fine, right? It's just, it's just a blow to his heart. I right? guess. He's looking for validation. He's looking for a little affection, a little, you know, attaboy, pat on the back kind of thing. And he just gets the door slammed in his face. Yeah. Which other- is why, raising my hand here, I think he's part of the Rebel Alliance too, or will be part of the Rebel Alliance. I don't I don't think he's going to be uh, on the side of the Empire forever. So we got Lance in the Rebel Alliance, and well, Mercer for sure, you think, yeah. and maybe Lance. Yeah, which is why, with the point of Carol ingratiating himself, ingratiating herself to him, uh-huh. because uh, it's all, uh, it's grooming. It's, uh, you know, it's setting up, uh, you know, bonds right. for the Rebel Alliance. Like we were, everything's being put in these two uh, opposing sides. I got it. Okay. Well, the other thing that Pamela says in this scene is uh, she she says they need to talk about the Alexandria thing. So they're going to get together and have a meeting to talk about that. Well, you need to, because uh, every topic comes up. It's like, oh, we need to put a meeting on the books to discuss that. The whole discussion might be, tell me what's going on with that Alexandria thing. It's like, oh, they're rebuilding stuff and uh, it's going well. Excellent. Thank you. Good meeting. Okay. Well, that <laughs> seems like uh, it wouldn't be that much of a a big deal, but maybe it is. <laughs> I had a meeting just like that today. It took all of three minutes. It's like, anybody got anything to report? Nope, I'm good. You, I'm good. Any blockers? No blockers. Okay, all right. Thank you. Goodbye. And that was literally how long that meeting took. That sounds like the perfect meeting, I got to say. It was nice. So Pamela speaks to Connie. Connie asks if uh, she's doing her journalistic duty here. She asks if they celebrate all the holidays like this. 
and apparently Halloween is extra special because it was Pamela Milton's father's favorite uh, holiday. In the White House. In the White House. So I, I went to the Walking Dead wiki to read up on this episode a little bit, and they are saying that that means that Pamela's father was the president of the United States pre-apocalypse. Okay. I don't understand. If the wiki says that, does that make it true? Because you can, there's, you know, more than one job in the White House. Well, that's what I was thinking. Like just saying, maybe, maybe it's an American thing when you say someone is in the White House. I mean, it means they're the president, but I do think there's more than one job there. That's right. There's the chief of staff. There's, uh, there's all kinds of advisors. There's the, uh, the press secretary. Uh, there's all kinds of jobs that, uh, I would assume are in the white, uh, basically anybody who was, uh, playing a part or being played by someone in the West Wing, uh, was in the white house. Right. Right. And so, I, I think Josh Lyman from the West Wing, one of my favorite shows of all time, by the, by the way, I love that show. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, uh, uh, to somebody, I think it was Ainsley, uh, who was working down in the, uh, you know, in the basement somewhere, they found a, a crawl space for her to work in. Uh, and, uh, he said, if you think we don't count the number of steps between our, our desk and the oval office, you're kidding yourself. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's definitely a hierarchy and lots of people that work at the white house. You don't have to be the president to work at the white house. Even if you are the president, are you really working at the white house? <laughs> you're working and living there. I, I don't know. And when I heard the line, I didn't immediately think, oh, her father was the president, but that seems to be what the show is indicating according to the wiki. So for now, I got to believe that unless they give us different information later. Yeah. And if I've learned anything from Battlestar Galactica, even the, uh, the secretary of education works at the white house as far as I'm concerned. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. She could be the president. So why can't, uh, I'm talking about Battlestar Galactica. Sorry. Am I spoiling Battlestar Galactica? Uh, wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> so yeah, there's lots of people that work there. I did not assume the president. No, neither did I, but I think a lot of people did. Anyways, um, the more important point to this conversation, I think, is when Connie asks about the class difference that's on display here. So we get a little bit more of that. And Milton's answer is, you know, that they appreciate every person that contributes. Uh, And then she just introduces them to last year's lottery winner. We still don't really know what this lottery is all about, though, right? Is it just you get to move from lower class to upper class? For a little while, maybe. Maybe you get to I come mean, to the Halloween masquerade ball and pretend like you're one of us. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it might be very similar to, oh, I don't want to even, uh, okay. I was about to spoil something else, but I'm going to back away. All right. Let's back away from that for now. Uh, one of the servers tries to interrupt them to talk to Pamela, but Max ushers them on And the guy that tried to talk to them is the trooper that Princess was with in the train car back in her COVID episode that Uh she uh, beat up. So he'll come back in a second. For now, uh, Lance gets on stage and introduces Pamela Milton. She makes a short speech thanking everybody. And then she unveils this painting of her father and talks about the artist that created it and says that they're putting the world back together. So this was another scene or bit that we saw in the trailer. And then this guy, this former soldier interrupts saying it's all bullshit. He puts a knife to Max's throat 
and confronts Milton about how he made one mistake and then he lost everything. And she doesn't even know his name, which apparently is Tyler. Super. Yeah. So he accuses Milton of only caring about fancy parties and paintings. He slices the painting up and says that the citizens are disposable to Milton. And as Tyler starts backing away with the knife to Max's neck, she whispers a couple of times, I'm like you. Yeah. I'm like you. Uh, so he lets her go and disappears behind a curtain and out a door. Yeah. Just <laughs> like a magician. Yeah. He's just gone, right? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody does anything. Big, big red away. curtain, gone out the away, door. <laughs> and then everybody's standing there until somebody yells, go after him, you idiot. Well, Sebastian. Sebastian screams yeah. to Mercer, go after him, right? Is he the smartest guy in the room in this situation? Because I would think that somebody would have run after him. He lost, he, he let go of the hostage and ran away. It's like, fucking... Go after him. I mean, I yeah, you go after him. There's all these uh, security around, and Sebastian has to scream, "Go get him!" So I don't know. Well, when he takes the knife away from uh, Max's throat to go slash the uh, slash the painting, yeah, he would have been shot seven times at that point because there was guards everywhere pointing weapons at him. The second he lost control of that hostage, she should have dropped to the ground, and everybody should have opened fire on that guy. Well, but she was still standing in front of him. She did not do that, so she would have been hit. Uh, yeah, but there's a less, <laughs> so, <laughs> but hey, he, lo- he lost control of the hostage for a moment and nobody did anything. So I kind of fault him for that too. All right. Well, in any case, he goes behind the curtain and runs out. Now, Daryl comes out of a door and he sees Tyler run into the haunted house that we <gasps> saw at the beginning. He follows him in, he finds him in there, he confronts him. Uh, Tyler mentions that he just wanted to talk to her. He didn't want to cause any trouble. And then he goes to slice his own throat because he feels like it's hopeless now. Says he lost everything for one little mistake. And he mentions having a sister. And so Daryl picks up on this and convinces him to surrender for his family's sake because he does have family. He has people. And then as Daryl is walking him out in handcuffs, Sebastian shows up. And Daryl offers to let Sebastian take the credit for capturing him. Mm-hmm. This, uh, the point where Daryl says, uh, not everybody has, like you have family. Not yeah. everybody had, not, not everybody gets that now. Uh, you know, don't take that away from your sister. Yeah. I think that right there was the best writing that the walking dead ever did. Ever? Ever. That was absolutely amazing. That point that he makes that uh, not everybody gets to have family now. Yep. So don't take it away from your sister. That's a very, very convincing argument not to kill yourself. No, 100%, 100%. And, and it's a great, like, callback, right? Because we know Daryl had a yeah, brother. Merle. Merle. And, you know, Merle had some problems, and they had some problems in their relationship, but it was still his brother. And way back in the day, like, he stuck up for him uh, to a certain amount. And then he lost him anyways. And so, you know, Daryl's thinking back to that and going, you don't want to lose that. If you have that, don't give it away. There's a great line and I loved it. It's really good. Yeah. Amazing. Excellent job, writers. Anyways, Sebastian takes Tyler and he walks him right back into the main ball, right right Uh back into the party, not to the police station or whatever, Uh, through the main party. Everybody claps. So they're very happy they've captured this guy. And so then, there's an old saying, there's an old saying that, uh, you know, it's not enough to, uh, have justice. 
you have to be seen having justice. Okay. So you can't just have justice. It's got to be visible justice or otherwise it doesn't count, I guess. Make a show of it. So you got to make a show of it. If he's going to, if they're going to, you know, they upset the party and they want to, they want to have this moment of closure. Walking the guy through the party seems like a thing that they would do. Yeah. All right. I I thought it was weird, but it is, it does seem along the lines with what Sebastian might do because he's looking for the glory. And so he walks this guy through the party and everyone applauds, which is what he wanted. Um, And then his mother commends him on a job well done and she says to take Tyler away. So yeah, he's the attaboy. There's the attaboy. That's right. Uh, now, as they're taking Tyler away, he says there are thousands more, thousands, Jason, more yeah. like him, not just a few. And he yells, resist the Commonwealth, equality for all, stuff like that. Yeah, it reminded me of Arrested Development uh, <laughs> and, and uh, Toby being a never nude. Yeah. There, there are dozens of us. Dozens. Well, there's more than dozens, apparently, of Commonwealth resistors. Thousands. That seems like a lot. Uh, Well, yeah. And if I told you once, I told you a million times. Never exaggerate. Never exaggerate. (laughs) Uh, The interesting part here, though, is Milton kind of quietly asks Lance, are there really thousands more? And he says no. And she says to make sure. And that's interesting because she clearly has no idea what's going on in her community, at least from that, you know, angle on things. Yeah. So somebody's supposed to go out there and count them? Like, what's the deal? Make sure. Yeah, I don't know. And I thought the other interesting thing here is Rosita and Daryl are standing right there listening to this whole thing. So they have now had their eyes opened uh, to the idea that there is some sort of dissent and resistance within the Commonwealth, which I think yeah. is probably important. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's it's the Rebel Alliance. That's right. It's the Rebel Alliance. Um, outside, Carol's in the town square uh, as the party is wrapping up. She watches Max and Yumiko distributing money and envelopes to people. That are signing something. So this lady comes out and uh, that's at the ball and she is, you know, asked to sign something. Mm -hmm. And in order to, and once that, once she signs it, she's handed an envelope of money. Yep. I don't know what's going on there. Uh, Yeah. They're, well, they're being paid to sign things. You know, don't you get paid to sign things? I guess sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. (laughs) I don't (laughs) know. I don't. Um, Every time I sign something, it's usually because I'm paying money. Ah, good point. Very good point. I I don't know know the last time I signed something where I got money. I don't know. Yeah, good point. Well, they're getting paid to sign whatever this is. Yeah, Uh, sign me up. Sign me up. Um, Now, uh, Connie's standing out there, and a soldier tells her to go inside, and she looks kind of surprised about it. So I also am not sure what was going on there. But in any case, Carol approaches Lance, and he says, uh, well, she wants to know, you know, what's next, how the wine was. And he says the wine was a good first step. And Carol wants to know what the next step is. Yeah. So it's not just the wine. She is working whatever she needs to do to gain influence with this guy and get her friend uh, moved up on the list. Yeah. And- well, once you got somebody, once you got a fish on the hook, you... Uh- you, you got to reel it in. Reel them in, right? You don't just uh, pull them out of the water right away. You got to reel them in. Yes. Uh, get them good and hooked on there. But this is the scene also where I realized there, there actually was nothing special about the wine. So all that foreshadowing I picked up on was nothing. Yeah, you fucked that up. I sure did. 
Now, Mercer, he instructs some soldiers to go find out how Tyler got access. And then he asks Rosita to question her friend on the waitstaff about it. So we cut over to Rosita in the kitchen talking to Magna. And Magna says that she never met Tyler. She asks whether about whether there were others. And Magna kind of just says this place is like a city from before. Um, I think implying that a big city comes with the good, the bad, you know, uh, people who are upset about things, some rebel alliance activities and stuff yep. like that. Yeah, every every city has the empire and the rebel alliance. I guess so, yeah. Otherwise, though, this is another scene that felt a little awkward to me because I'm like, okay, we've got these two friends, Rosita and Magna, who are in different positions now. One is questioning the other, kind of like she's a criminal. Would they really do this? Like, this doesn't feel... It's only been 30 days. It's not like they've had years apart and they don't know each other anymore. They're just playing roles, it feels like. Well, Magna might be a little bit pissed off because she can, you know, she can see the class structure uh, very clearly at this point. Yeah. She's had conversations about it. She's serving these people. They don't see her. Uh, The only person that talked to her in any meaningful way was Princess uh, coming in. So, I don't know. It just, uh, I didn't, I didn't really think anything of it other than uh, the class structure is rearing its ugly head. It is for sure. But that's what I mean, like. Magna can see it, whether or not Rosita, Rosita really sees it yet or not, I don't know, but I just don't feel like she'd go and question her friend, like interrogate her friend. It just, she was told to. I know she was. By her boss. Yeah, but I don't know. It felt awkward. It's like suddenly if, if you and I were somewhere and you were serving drinks and I was on the, and I was a police officer and like, I come and question you about something like this, it just wouldn't feel natural. It wouldn't work. And I felt like this was an awkward scene between two characters who should have a more friendly interaction. Yeah. I'd probably stab you in the throat if you did something like that. Well, Ask me a question while I'm trying to fucking serve drinks. How dare you? you I'm working me? here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There was something awkward about it and it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Anyhow, uh, We go over to Ezekiel. He has shown up at Carol's place and they share some wine and talk some small talk between friends. And he mentions Harry or Henry, excuse me, would have loved it here. And he gives Carol a box with Henry's name painted on it. She suggests that he should keep it, but no, he insists. And then she asks again how he is and he still says he's great. He's still finding reasons to smile. That's nice. It is kind of nice, yeah. And they just sort of sit on the couch and hang out. This was my favorite Carol scene in the in the whole episode, to be honest with you. The other ones I was confused by. This, two friends drinking some wine, having a nice time, and pe- two people who clearly uh, are very fond of each other, right? Yeah. So I liked it. They're, they're uh, mending their bond, which is nice. Like that- They went through some rough times here, but I think they're going to get back together. It could be, maybe, yeah, absolutely. Now, Daryl, he's at home. He steps in front of a mirror and he's wearing his Commonwealth soldier armor. So I guess he's graduated and they've given him some armor. And we get another on-screen title that says Day 33 in the Commonwealth. So it's only three days later. Yeah. Um, but hey, he's now a full-fledged soldier. And Judith steps in front of him wearing a new dress. She says he looks very official but 
he says he doesn't feel official. And they're, it's a new apartment, right? It's not the same one. The walls are clean. They yeah. have beds where the last time it was just mattresses on the floor. Yep. They have furniture. This is a, this is a new apartment. It's not loud and annoying with parties happening right above you. Yeah. Yeah. They got, uh, there's barn doors, like, Ooh. you know, those sliding doors that, uh, they've got those in the background. Yeah. This is, this is a nice place. Much nicer. So, uh, what do you do when you go to a place like this? You put on a little motorhead. You buy a record player. He gives it to her and they put on Motorhead and listen to Eat the Rich together. It's the name of the song. Mm-hmm. Now, while the music is playing, we see a bunch of Commonwealth soldiers knock down a door in the apartment complex that Daryl and Rosita came out of way back at the beginning of the episode. Oh, I'm not sure that that's the case. Hold on. No, it's the same one. They go up the same stairs. They go up a set of stairs, but I don't know if they're the same one. Let me, uh, I'm going to the tape here. All right. Well, listen. I think it's the same one. If it's not exactly the same building, I think it's the same level of accommodations, right? It's where it's the cheap, crappy apartments where you sleep on mattresses on the floor. Nope. It's not the same one. The, the, the one that, uh, and this seems nicer, oddly enough. Mm. So the one that Daryl uh, and Rosita came out of had uh, doors and then the halfway, like there was doors on, at the top of a set of stairs. You go up another set of stairs, there was a boarded up window. You go up another set of stairs, there's a door. You go up another set of stairs, there's a boarded up window. Okay. This one does not have boarded up windows. And the hmm. stairs, it's uh, it's stairs landing, like a, 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 a catwalk, and then you go up another set of stairs, whereas uh, the one Rosita and Daryl came out of, it's, it's stairs, 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 stairs. This is stairs landing, stairs landing. <laughs> okay. So it's a completely different building. Oddly enough, it seems nicer, but I don't think that this is, inside the Commonwealth. I think this is outside the walls. Oh, well, I hadn't thought of that either. They, they bust down the door, they go in, they search the place a little bit, and um, Rosita is one of the soldiers, and she finds a hidden room behind one of the closets, and it's full of all kinds of anti-Commonwealth material, things like resist the Commonwealth, dissent, and equality for workers is spray-painted on things. Um, and she looks genuinely concerned to me, but right now I'm a little unclear on whether she's thinking, you know, what's going on here, or she's fully on the Commonwealth side and she's thinking we can't have this kind of a descent going on inside our walls, whether it's inside or outside. So I don't know uh, who's, I don't know whose side she's on, which, uh, makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. I think it's inside the walls. Cause why would you have a secret room if it's outside the walls? Well, yeah, I, I don't know. Okay. So I'm, yeah, I now think that it's inside the walls, uh, uh of the city. So this is a secret room. She goes in, I got the feeling that it's a what's going on here. I don't understand uh, the, or I'm surprised by the extent of the Rebel Alliance organization. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that may be it, right? So, it, I mean, she's having her eyes open to this sort of for the first time here, right? So she's found all this stuff and maybe you're right. She's going, okay, well, this is a big deal. Obviously, this is going on. This is potentially a problem, at least for you know, the perspective of people like Lance and Milton and so on. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, the whole point of this episode was to reveal this sort of class structure to us as the audience and let us know that the Rebel Alliance is a thing. And it sure did a good job of doing that, I would say. Um, and that's it. 
that's the episode. That is the end right there. So uh, I think this was a weird episode. I wasn't so keen on some of the Carol stuff, but overall it did the job and it was really the first deep look we've had into the Commonwealth uh, on this show. So I liked it. I just thought it was it was jarring to see all this like modern normal society type stuff, you know? It was, and I think it was supposed to be. Yeah. I think, so uh, I the Carol thing didn't bother me at all. I thought it was nice that her and Ezekiel are friendly again and that they, they seem to be coming to terms with their trauma and uh, being able to uh, find comfort uh, in each other again, which mm-hmm. is nice, and share a nice $1,200 bottle of wine. For the two of them, was, 100%. Yeah, yeah I, I thought that was great. Uh, yeah, I, I think this was, uh, you know, the first of a bookend episode. So I think the next episode will probably be the, um, uh, the other side of the story. Like we have how Daryl became a soldier. So now we need to figure out what's going on at Hilltop. What's, uh, yes, that's right. What's going on with at Hilltop. So that's something I wanted to talk about briefly too, a little bit. We saw a lot of our characters here and I started thinking about, okay, well, who did we not see here? Now, obviously Maggie's not here. We, we yep. kind of know that Aaron Aaron's is not, not here. here. So he probably stayed with Maggie. Lydia doesn't yep. seem to be here. She stayed. Those are the only three major characters I can think of that didn't come over. The only other one that came to mind was Virgil. You know, yeah. I remember Virgil. I think he may still be back uh, with Maggie wherever she is, either at Alexandria or Hilltop. Negan. Negan doesn't count because he went off on his own. He's he off buggered on the, off on his own okay. on the in the forest. So I he's have, Han Solo in this situation. Yeah, he's gonna swoop in by at himself, last solo, second yeah, and nobody. save the day. Although one thing I thought about uh, with Negan while I was walking around the other day is. I wouldn't be so surprised if Negan somehow runs into Leah in the forest and the two of them come back together or they get up to something together. You know, why leave her alive? I was wondering what the point of that is. Oh, it's because now she's alone, Negan's alone, and they're going to run into each other. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I think I just put something together. I think Lucille is the Millennium Falcon. (laughs) Uh, She's going to, he's going to fly in and. Well, Think of, it, think of it this way. Uh, Han Solo never loses the Millennium Falcon. He loses it, loses it for a while, but he gets it back. Mm-hmm. It's semi-sentient. We got that from the Han, from the Solo movie, yes. which is kind of, kind of weird and tragic and sad, all rolled into one. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, it's semi-sentient. Uh, it is very much a part of him and uh, cannot be lost. Well, there you go. Um, yeah. And it looks like a piece of junk. <laughs> that piece of junk anyways uh i feel like megan and leah might run into each other but they don't they don't count so the only characters really of any note that aren't that didn't go to the commonwealth are maggie aaron and lydia and maybe virgil so that doesn't seem like there's very many left out at hilltop to uh be doing anything i'm sure there's a bunch of side characters and stuff like that and background yeah, we got people. red shirts we got lots of red shirts yeah out. but that's it everyone else seems to be here um so anyways i don't know i was just i was just trying to make the lists of who was where and stuff like that oh it also doesn't um seem like any oceanside people came here because there are still people at oceanside like yeah. luke and 
Anybody else? I don't know. Uh, who knows? <laughs> yeah. Um, presumably they're out there somewhere. Who knows if Oceanside has anything to do with any of this or if we'll ever see them again. I don't know. So anyways, yeah, there you go. Episode uh, 10 of season 11. Pretty cool. And lots of intrigue at the Commonwealth. Oh, and Dog. Dog's at the Commonwealth too. We forgot him. Of course. Dog goes with Daryl. That's the way it is. Yeah, just, you know, he made his choice. Yeah, he did for sure. Uh, all right, that's that, everyone. Before we wrap up the podcast today, we've got to do, you know, you know what, the most yep. exciting part of the episode sometimes. <laughs> uh, and first, though, I want to thank a new patron who joined up at patreon.com slash the talking dead. That is Elizabeth B. Thank you, Elizabeth, for becoming a patron and supporting us. So we have a prize this week to give away. It is a Sasha Funko Pop. And I always include some Talking Dead stickers in the prize pack as well, if you're super into that. But the main thing <laughs> is the Funko Pop. And we need to choose a winner, Jason. So yeah. uh, I hand the microphone over to you to let us know who this week's winner is. All right. So I spent a lot of money last time, last on the last one. So I needed to go a little bit cheaper this time. So what I did was I got, uh, I got some popcorn. So I bought a bunch of popcorn seeds. And uh, what I did was I took all the names of all our patrons, patrons and I wrote them on the actual popcorn seeds. So I, I got a Sharpie and a pair of uh, like magnifying glasses. And I wrote on very fine print uh, on the actual popcorn seed. And then I put it in the popcorn maker. Mm -hmm. And I popped and I tried to, to warm it up. And I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to get the first one that popped and they were, and then trying, you know, the seed is still, the outside of the casing is still there. It's inside the, the kernel of the, uh, the popcorn. So I wanted to try and find that, but, uh, I'll be damned if, uh, fucking popcorn doesn't pop all at the same time. <laughs> so trying to find, so I had to try this. I tried this 37 times uh -huh. to try and so once, and I had to start over. Right, because once you warm up the popcorn, I don't know if that makes any any uh, change in the structure of the popcorn kernel. So I, you know, I popped it all, ate them all, and then I moved on to another one. So over the last week, I've been doing this almost constantly. Like it's actually, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't work, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't do anything. Uh, Jenny had to do all the grocery shopping. She had to take Jasper to school. All I was doing was fucking writing on these popcorn seeds and then popping popcorn, uh, trying to get one to pop. Right. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of proud to say that it worked one time, the last time, just uh, earlier today, about maybe a couple of hours ago, Ooh. uh, I've been eating nothing but popcorn for like a week. So, sure. <laughs> uh, but it, it actually worked. So I was, uh, I was cooking the popcorn and it popped and I pulled everything off and, uh, I just, I, I threw the pot in, in a, in a big bucket of water just to cool everything off immediately, right? So this is the, the plan I had. And then I took out the soaking wet popcorn and I uh, got it under the microscope and I started peeling off the uh, uh, the white fluffy stuff and I uh, I found the name. And you know what name I saw there on the shell please, of that popcorn seed? Please enlighten us. It was Nikki C. Oh my God, Nikki C. Congratulations. You are the popcorn winner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're actually the Funko Pop winner. That is exciting. So... Boy, last week spent a lot of money. This week spent a lot of time. It sounds like it. It you know you know uh, I'm I'm kind of sick of popcorn at the moment. I imagine you've probably had enough for the rest of your life. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, I like popcorn and everything, so it'll, it'll just be a while. 
Okay, fair enough. Well, listen, Nikki C., uh, congratulations. I will be in touch. And, uh, you know, we'll get that out to you as soon as we can. Do you want to hear what next week's prize is, Jason? Uh, Always. It's a super awesome Negan t-shirt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Picture of Negan and Lucille on the front of the shirt. It's pretty wicked. So uh, that'll be coming up next week. And if you want to get in on the action here, you can go to patreon.com slash the talking dead, become a patron of the show. It's an amazing way to support us. And obviously we super are, are super appreciative of everyone that does huge. Thank you to that. And you're included in the weekly draw for one of these prizes, which we're doing for every single episode uh, of the walking dead until the end of season 11 when it finishes. Awesome. It is super great. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We have our feedback show coming up later this week. We record that on Thursday night, usually. Remember last week we did Friday. This week we're going to try to do Thursday like normal. And if you want to be a part of that, you can go to TalkingDeadPodcast.com, click on Send Voicemail at the top to record a message with your thoughts and comments about this week's episode. You can also send emails to TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com. And if you just want to record yourself talking into your phone and send us the audio file, that's a great way to do it as well. Um, You know, it's an audio podcast, like most of them, and we love hearing people's voices. So get some audio recording and get it into us. You can also find us on Twitter at Talking Dead, which uh, is more of just a kind of way to say hi. (laughs) I don't really pull feedback from Twitter, but, you know, we're there. And uh, you uh, you can let me know what you think of Jason's selection method every week on Twitter if you want. How about that? Super. Good stuff. All right. That's it for the podcast this week, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye.